God, what a, what a hopefully refreshing week we've had, where we can be reminded that what we do matters, that we have assurance that we are making an impact when we're walking and serving you faithfully. And so as we close our time together, may we go home with a full cup, ready to be poured out as a sacrifice to you, our God. Thank you for these men and women and what they do. Would you give them confidence to do it well as they re-enter that world today? It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Good morning. Hello. It's good to be with you one more time. I've got a question. Is there one thing that has stood out to you this week as you get ready to jump in a car and drive down the mountain? doesn't have to necessarily be related to anything talked about in here, but anything standing out that you're kind of taking home? Yes? Oh, I feel like we're all battling something. Yeah. We are all battling something. Yeah. I came up really heavy, and just uh, being up here was a reminder I needed to lecture myself, right? Yeah. To, to choose to worship God. Yeah. Even my heart is heavy, right? Yeah. Thank you for that. Any others? Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Well, here's, what, here's what I'd like to do this morning is uh, I'd like to just, this is going to be short, sweet, straight to the point. I'm also a preacher, so I don't know, take it with a grain of salt, but um, <laughs> I'd, I'd love to just kind of throw one more thing after the trail mix of stuff that, uh, that you've been given this week at you um, that hopefully serves as a, a reminder as you head home. Um, but I want to start with a question. If you could describe for me what burnout and exhaustion feels like, call it out. What does it feel like to be burnt out, to be tired, exhausted? Overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. Defeated. Defeated. Empty. Empty, helpless. Well, you guys are real chatty now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you, had to, if you had to compare it to something, what would it be? One more time? Being sick. Being sick. Wow. Wow, that's good. Yeah. I've never thought of that. Stealing that. Uh, okay, what else? <laughs> grief. Yeah. Deflated. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to box you. <laughs> Everyone else here, pretty confident. Um, <laughs> been sizing you up all weekend, but, uh, <laughs> but you, I want you on my team. Uh, and together, all of this could be ours. 
Dom, you can join too, okay? Yeah, 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 all right, okay. Uh, Uh huh. That's good. Depleted. Yeah. I I I feel like the best picture in my head um, came to me after my family and I had been gone for for like a week and a half, and we came home, and I had used a cup, and so I went to the sink, and I was going to wash the cup. And I grabbed the sponge, and it was just this disgusting, dry, crusty thing on the counter, right? Can you get that picture in your head for a second of just a dried-out sponge? When I think of burnout and when I think of exhaustion, it's like a sponge. Because a sponge isn't supposed to be dried out on the sink. A sponge has a tool. A sponge is a very helpful thing in the kitchen, especially as I teach my kids how to do dishes so I don't have to do them anymore. Like, it's a good thing, you know? Um, but I think of a, I think of a dried-up sponge. And the times in my ministry where I have felt exhausted, depleted, overwhelmed, grief, sick, all those things, I'm dry. I've got nothing. Psalm 16 speaks directly to this. And so my hope this morning is just to briefly unpack this psalm that actually has a really cool uh, liturgy in, in Jewish culture. If you, if you turn to Psalm 16 and look right under the heading of Psalm 16, it says a miktam of David, a miktam of David. Now, I've, maybe some of you have studied this. I've looked everywhere, and as best as I can tell, miktam implies it's one of our favorites. It's known as the golden psalm. It's a psalm that, um, that, that maybe if you have a favorite passage, by and large, the nation of Israel kind of adopted this one after David wrote it and said, this one's ours. Like, this one means a lot to us. And at first glance, it's sort of confusing as to why that would be. But when you look under the surface a little bit, you can see David is speaking to that state of exhaustion, of spiritual burnout, of feeling like dried up dust just being blown around by the troubles of life. And so Psalm 16 goes like this. It says, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say to the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I will keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest assured because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life, and you fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Psalm 16 is this miktam, this golden psalm, meaning it, it had value, it had importance to those who read it. It was one that they would have memorized. It's one that, uh, that within the, the words that we just read, there is a prophetic confession of, of the Savior that would come. There is the promise that in the presence of God is the fullness of joy. And we see David pleading with God to not let him dry out like that sponge we were talking about. Look at verse 1 with me for a second. In verse 1, David says, God, please keep me safe. Keep me safe, for in you I take refuge. 
We talked last night with that word rafa out of 4610, Psalm 4610, and just the idea of what we go to. It's sometimes skills, it's sometimes sin, but what's that thing that we turn to when, when we want to fight our battles, thus leaving no room for God? David is absolving that way of thinking by going, keep me safe, for in you I take refuge. When I'm going to look for safety, I'm going to go to you, God, because I know that's the only place I can find it. As you guys serve in ministry, it is crucial that you know you are at your best when you are taking refuge in God. You are at your best. There's going to be moments where your back is against the wall and you are going to look to grab towards anything for safety, for comfort, to defend yourself. Maybe you've spoken out on an issue in a sermon. Maybe you haven't spoken out on an issue in a sermon. Maybe you're open. Maybe you're closed. Maybe you're taking temperatures. Maybe you make your kids wear masks. Whatever happens, we are all subject to the court of public opinion, and that's a scary place. Influence is scary. Influence is horrible, especially if you're like me. I worry so much about what others think. That's like my constant battle of, uh, did I say that right? Did I say that wrong? What's going on here? David says, no, no, no. God, it's in you that I find safety, and it's in you that I take refuge. You are, like we read last night, my ever-present help in times of trouble. Where do you go to when you don't feel safe? My wife is hilarious, um, not because she tries to be. Um, she's not here. Oh, this is recorded. She won't listen, though. But so, so what my wife does is, like, if I'm gone out of town, she'll, like, hide kitchen knives around the house. And I love to tease her. I'm like, what will you do with it? Like, you have the shortest arms, and you don't, you've never stabbed anything in your life. Like, what are you going to do with this? She's like, well, I feel unsafe. And so having this knife behind the picture by the front door, like, if someone opens the door and they want to get me, I can just, Gah! and I'm like, that's your plan? Like, this is a crazy plan. And she goes, well, don't you ever feel unsafe? And I was like, No. Fat people do not get kidnapped. Like, it's all good. Like, this is never going to happen. But I'll be real with you. The last couple years, I've felt very unsafe. I've felt incredibly unsafe. Like, there's been moments in the last two years where I am just gripped with fear. David wants to remind his own soul that it's in God that we find safety, and it's in God that we can find our refuge. Look at verses 2 through 4. He says, He says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, and apart from you, I have no good thing. I say to the holy people who are in the land, they are my noble ones in whom is all my delight, and those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. David begins to hear plea for the things in his life. What what does he plea for? He pleads for his kingdom. He's he's discerning on behalf of his kingdom. God, would we be a kingdom that remains faithful to you, that won't even utter the name of other gods, that won't even even for a second begin to sacrifice our precious blood towards these things that have no saving power, that have no sovereign reign or rule. You, God, are the one. And so on behalf of Israel, he's pleading, keep us safe. He, He prays for his own heart. He asks God to protect his heart, to guard his heart, to keep his heart safe. And lastly, he he talks about his soul. I think it's important for us to know as leaders that oftentimes the weight we bear is the weight of the spiritual growth and call to be a shepherd on those that we lead while simultaneously making sure we ourselves are healthy and filled up. Let me say this really clearly. Your health is your responsibility. If you're desiring mentorship, 
that is your responsibility. If you're desiring to be discipled, that is your responsibility. If you're desiring opportunity, that is your responsibility. If you're desiring deeper intimacy with our Lord and Savior Jesus, that is your responsibility. You have to understand that, that, that your ability to be successful, we're going to define success in this context as faithful, rests solely on your shoulders. And I think that we live in a culture that is so self-gratifying and by and large, our churches, whether we want to admit it or not, or not have, they all have some level and edge of consumeristic Christianity attached to them that it's really easy for us who are oftentimes at the helm in these spaces to think that we should be on the receiving end of these things ourselves. But the second that you begin to take responsibility for your own soul care, for your own self-care, for your own ability to grow and become that thing that God is desperately and deeply working on you to be, that's when things begin to happen. I spent the first six years of my ministry so frustrated and so whining and such a gossip about the fact that my senior leadership wouldn't pour into me. Now, is that a problem? Sure. To some degree, that is a problem. And if you were here in our seminar yesterday, what we learned was less than 25% of people actually work in a ministry context where leadership development is a value. That means only one out of every four of us actually works for a place that says, hey, I see something in you and we're going to go after it together. And if I'm honest, the people I've worked with, one in four sounds incredibly high. Like that sounds like a very inflated number. I think it's because sometimes there are bigger churches that do that for their people and it kind of offsets these polls, whatever. Not the biggest numbers guy, but here I am throwing numbers at you. What's the point? The point I'm trying to make is that you, as you go home, have to take responsibility for your own growth and development. What can that look like? Well, it can look like filling yourself with resources. It can look like surrounding yourself with intentional uh, spiritual friends, a Christian community, for the purpose of learning and growing together. It can look like you putting yourself on the chopping block of rejection and reaching out to someone whose faith and way of life you respect and saying, hey, can we hang out for an hour a month? Can we hang out once a week? Whatever it is that fits your schedule and fits their schedule, that is completely your responsibility to go after. I think the notion that people just like, hey, I see something in you and I really want to pull that out. That's a Disney movie. That's that's not real life. It is for some people, but we can't live with that expectation. All right, rabbit trail over. Look at verse 5 and 6. This is where things get interesting. He said, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. How content are you with the life that you have? How content are you with the way things are in your own life? Remember, your life, your responsibility. How content are you with the way it's going? David's actually beginning to turn his prayers into praise here in affirming the fact that, God, you alone are my portion and my cup. I don't need anything. We talked about that the first night. Jeff did. Like, we're the sheep who, who the shepherd carries on his shoulders. We need nothing. David is thanking God for that, for his lot and his portion. He then goes on to say, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. He says, God, the way that, the way that my life is, and, and you might be thinking, yeah, sure, easy for a king to say, you know, gets to wake up in his palace, and however that went, I'm really not sure even to this day. But like, yeah, it's easy for a king to say, yeah, I'm happy with what you've given me. But David's not talking about the tangible, physical things around him. In this moment, he's still talking about the relationship that he has with God. 
It's like in the New Testament when, when, when the word says that we've been adopted as sons and daughters. Or, or in Ephesians when it says that you have access to every spiritual blessing under the heavenly realm. Or it's the understanding that God is our advocate, constantly going to the Father on our behalf. Like you have to understand that whether or not you feel it doesn't make the idea that you are blessed and highly favored any less real. You have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords on your side, and you're a group of people who he hand-selected to be doing exactly what you're doing in this moment in time. We're going to have moments where we fight imposter syndrome, and we're going to have moments where we don't know if we're making an impact or a difference. But what you do with those feelings is completely and entirely up to you. You have to understand that God loves you, that God has equipped you, and that God has sent you out into the world that you are serving in right now. You have a beautiful portion. The boundary lines are in your favor. We have the God of the universe on our side. Look at what he says in in verse 7 and 10 as he continues to turn his pleading for God into praise. He says, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also, also rest secure. He says, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. That tired, exhausted, sick, defeated, depleted feeling that we started this morning talking about, God's not leaving you there. God's not going to abandon you to the realm of the dead. Do you know that God is with, we just saying this, God is with us even when we're in the valleys. I'm not saying that with God things are easy and life is good. I'm just saying you're never alone. If you miss his presence in your life, If you miss his presence in your ministry, you have missed the entire point. Think back to our identity grid. We are first made in God's image. Therefore, we are loved by him. From there, we have gifts and talents. They manifest themselves in this world through our physical selves, through our bodies. You have to understand this about yourself. You are so deeply loved by God. He is crazy about you. He paid the ultimate sacrifice for you. And he's with you always. And and what you get to do is you get to carry that message for the people that you serve and remind them that he is with them and for them as well. It's important for us to know this about ourselves. Look at what he goes on to say. He says, Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. Sorry that door was locked. (laughs) At some point you have to address it. Um, When you got to go, you got to go. What can I say? (laughs) All right, look at Acts 2 with me. Look at Acts 2. In in Acts 2, so Psalm 16 says, you will not let your faithful one see decay. This is a promise of the, the coming Christ. Like these messianic prophecies are laced all throughout the Old Testament. And what's interesting about this one is it comes up twice in the book of Acts. Look at this. He says in Acts chapter 2, Peter quotes this, uh, verse right in the middle of the birth of the, of the church. My Bible's stuck together. Acts 2 says, waiting, waiting. Verse 29 through 31. 
It says, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and in his tomb and is here to this day. And he, but he was a prophet and he knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. As Christians, this entire thing rests on God's ability to resurrect things from the dead. Like at the core of what we do and what we proclaim is a God who is continually resurrecting dead things. First and foremost, his son Jesus. And so what David is reminding us in Psalm 16, what Peter is affirming, if you flip over to Acts 13, Paul quotes this as well in his missionary journey. He says this in Acts 13, verse 35. Acts 13, 35 through 38, it says this. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin and justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Am I reading the right thing? Yeah, I am. He says, he says look, you scoffers, wander and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe if I told you. Paul begins to affirm this resurrection here in 38 when he says, I want you to know that through, for, through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Look back at verse 35. That's the one I was looking at. It says, so it is also stated elsewhere, you will not let your Holy One see decay. Here's the point as I kind of land the plane with this morning. You're not dead. You're tired. You're not done. You need rest. You are making an impact you just may be looking at the results different than God would look at the results. Numbers are a thing, but they're not the thing. Like sometimes we think we have a successful night if the sermon lands and everyone is amening and clapping and cheering. Sometimes we think we've had a successful night of programming if the room is full and we had to pull out chairs. Not to, di not to diminish that, that's a whole nother conversation, but if you work for a small church, you're not less than. If, if your youth group has suffered like every single church in the country has, church attendance has declined by almost 50%. Online attendance since the start of the pandemic has declined 72%. I'm not a numbers guy, okay? But here's the idea. You have to stop looking for your success and your impact in metrics, and you need to start gauging it by your faithfulness. You need to know that God is resurrecting. He didn't let Jesus see decay, and nor has he abandoned you in the shadow of the valley of the death. He is with you. And, and we'll close with this. This is, this is why this is the miktam. This is why this is the golden psalm. Because then he says, you make known to me, in verse 11, the path of life, and you fill me with joy in your presence. Other translations would say that in your presence, O God, is the fullness of joy. In your presence is the fullness of joy. I find myself praying that all throughout the day these days. God, in your presence is the fullness of joy. If you miss his presence, you miss the point. Not just as a ministry leader, but as a follower and disciple of Jesus. The promise of God is that we're never alone. The promise of God is that he will not abandon us to the, to the realm of the dead. The promise of God is that he's with you always and forever. When you feel tired and dried out like that sponge... I want you to know this about yourself. 
There is joy in God's presence. That's where we find it. And you are at your best, not just as a servant and a human following after the living God, but as a leader, you are at your best when you are spending time in that secret place, when you are bathing yourself in God's presence, when you are learning to hear his still, small voice. Jesus says, my sheep know me, and my sheep know my voice. When you are placing your life into spiritually formative environments, that's when you can become yourself. In God's presence is the fullness of joy. It's those opportunities where the Spirit of God begins to do exactly what is promised to us in the book of John, to form, to mold, to convict, to shape, to discern on our behalf. If there's like one thing that I hope to end with as we head out of here, please do not neglect the presence of God in your life. If you're looking to find fulfillment as a ministry leader in the success of your ministry, you might find it for a minute, but like eating candy, you're going to be hungry 10 minutes later and wonder why you have a headache. The whole idea behind what we do is that we get to usher people from death to life by sharing the good news of Jesus with them. But it starts with you reminding your own self of that message as well. So what do we have to remind ourselves of this beautiful gospel? The thing that we see in Scripture that's left to us as a sacrament is this beautiful thing called communion. And so in talking with, with Jeff, who's, who's putting this retreat on for all of us, we felt like it would be a really special way to end our time together by reminding us of the presence of God in our own lives, of God's own resurrecting power that starts first and foremost in our own souls before we're able to lead or serve anyone else in a spiritual sense. We wanted to take communion together to remind us of that. It's a reminder that communion is this beautifully sacred thing where the scriptures even warn us to not take it without first checking our own hearts, to see if there's any unsettled sin in our lives. And from there, we have the bread, which represents the body of Christ that was broken for us. The later parts of the Gospels, we see the torment that Jesus went through, not just for the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, but because that's the beginning stages of him taking our sin and our shame on his shoulders. And in doing so, he, he died, he suffered. His blood was shed because the Old Testament says that there can be no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. Blood is life, it says. And so what we'd love to do as we close our time worshiping together, the very last thing we're going to do is uh, we'd love to serve you communion. And if you'd like to take that communion, it's real simple. Um, we're just going to take a piece of bread. We're going to dip it in grape juice. You can come back to your seat. You can reflect. You can get together as a team and pray. Um, but this will be how we conclude our time together. Please let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for this wonderful weekend, or week rather. Thank you, God, for the times that we've gotten to meet new friends and be reminded of our calling and how much what we do matters. But mostly, God, thank you that you have not abandoned us to the, to the realm of the dead. That because you didn't, let, you didn't let your faithful ones see decay, Jesus, we also get to partake in that resurrected life. God, I pray that you would give a, a sense of spiritual confidence to the men and women here as they head home and jump back into what life looks like. That you'd help them to know that, yes, in fact, they are making an impact. They are making a difference. Maybe we just need to use a different measuring stick to see that, and that measuring stick would be that of faithfulness. And lastly, God, we thank you and pray that you would continually remind us that in your presence is the fullness of joy. Would we seek that joy as we seek your presence all the days of our lives? It's in your name we pray.
Amen.